Marcy Sklove. Welcome to Going Deeper. Today I'm sitting with Rabbi Ben Weiner from the Jewish community of Amherst, the JCA. And this is the second part of our interview together. So welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, so in part one, we were able to focus a lot on you and your background and your history and what brought you to become a rabbi and all of that. And now I'd kind of like to focus on some of the big questions that, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to have a rabbi sitting with me so I'm that I can. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> so what, what is your understanding of God? And uh, I, I'm not asking in kind of a simplistic way, like I know that all Jews think the same thing or mm. anything silly like that. But from your own perspective, how would you talk about God? Sure. It's hard for me to differentiate the two. You know, what my role is as a rabbi relating to tradition and trying to help people access spirituality and the divine through the tradition mm -hmm. and my own personal journey in life, they're kind of intertwined with each other. So when I'm asked such a question, I feel like I sort of have to respond uh, in both ways. Um, you know, I was raised uh, in a pretty traditional conservative Jewish household, and so the available uh, image of God for me from my childhood was a fairly traditional one. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, God is the being up in the sky. God mm. has a, an awareness of our, uh, our actions uh, and expects a certain type of action from us and uh, holds us to account uh, depending on the nature of our actions. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess I had that experience as a child of being raised in a fairly traditional religiosity. Um, and in my own life, uh, as I grew older, having that deteriorate, mm -hmm. uh, just coming to question more and more the validity uh, uh, of that to the point where I, I no longer really believed it, yeah. I think, by the time I got to be about 18. So it, it stuck with me for a while. So when you stopped believing it, did it turn into there is no God, or it changed into you know, a different idea of It's an interesting question. I think there was, there was various stages of it. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, when one is raised with a fairly strong uh, belief system and, and begins to doubt it and see the holes mm -hmm, in it, mm -hmm. I think the first experience is one of, of nihilism, Sure. at least for me, uh, which is painful. I don't yeah. want to underestimate the extent to which that is painful. It's yeah. like losing a, losing a sense of grounding in life, mm -hmm. losing a sense that life has meaning. Um, and so there's certainly, I think, for me, I should just speak, there was a stage at which I doubted yeah. the validity of everything. Sure. <laughs> I guess it made me very cynical and nihilistic. And then I think at the same time, it leaves you with a yearning for, for something. Right. You know, I, I think everyone has different attitudes towards this, but there's a unique trajectory with one who had belief at, at a young age and loses it, yeah. and then has, the, has a certain kind of emptiness because there used to be something there that's no longer there. Yeah. And so I think the next stage is, is, um, is looking for what's going what's gonna to fill that particular part of oneself. And in that, I followed what I think is a very traditional modern Jewish trajectory, which is you go east, you know, uh -huh. you look for the, <laughs> look to the Buddhists, in, in my case in particular. Uh -huh. um, Although Buddhism doesn't really have 
God. Which is what's so helpful about it. <laughs> you know, okay, at first, yeah. if, you're, if you're coming from a place of lost, lost belief okay. in a deity and yet looking for a spirituality, I think that's why it makes such a nice... Uh, it receives people yeah, so nicely. That, at least I've never its, thought about yeah, that. That's its, very At least in its abstract way that it's, it's taken in in the Western mm. world mm -hmm. with all the kind of religious aspects of it which exist. Sure. Uh, kind of peeled away and reduced to uh, just a basic uh, philosophy of life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think in that, you know, you find both the notion that there can be a sense of spirituality absent a uh, deity, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and also uh, a different type of methodology. If you know, if if when there's a big god in the sky, what you do is pray. Yeah. When there's a more uh, amorphous sense of the spirituality of reality, then you meditate. Wow, instead. interesting. And so I think it's a combination of the differing philosophy and also the methodology, which can be very attractive to people that have lost their traditional religion but still haven't have a hunger and a need and a, a yearning mm -hmm. for something. So that was certainly where I landed for a time. Yeah. Um, and then again, it's a very common boomerang trajectory because mm -hmm. then what happens is if you're also raised strongly in a cultural tradition, you realize, mm -hmm. well, I'm not, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm a Jew. Yeah. Uh, that's really what I am. It's the languages that I speak. It's the texts and traditions and cultures and, and practices that I know. So then what happens for many people um, is that you then try to um, reinvest your newfound sense of spirituality back into the tradition mm. that you were raised in. Yeah. Um, and, and try to piece back together for yourself a sense of Jewish religiosity that's informed by uh, a more compelling sense of spirituality that, that, that you right. discovered elsewhere. But then what happens, and this is, I think it's, it's not just an individual story that yeah. I'm telling. Yeah you begin to discover those elements of your indigenous religion mm -hmm. that actually are in harmony to some extent sure. with the less kind of theistic um, understanding. Yeah. yeah, and there's a historical kind of uh, parallel story going on because my own experience, but maybe yours too, that, that growing up conservative Jewish experience mm -hmm was pretty devoid of the spiritual aspects and a lot of that had to do with the Holocaust mm -hmm. and losing the spiritual juice. A combination of things. For, yeah. I, for me, I, I, the, the losing the spiritual juice I ascribe more to kind of American assimilationism. Okay. And um, did some of that also include like fear of being Possibly. I mean, yeah. the way that I've experienced the effect of the Holocaust on Jewish religiosity in the 20th century, and I only experienced the tail end of the 20th century, sure. you know, personally, let's say the last quarter of it, yeah. um, was uh, more of a kind of crisis of faith. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if we're supposed to be the chosen people and God has a special loving relationship with us as Jews, then why, why, how could this happen? Yeah. Um, and the Holocaust was really just the final big, you know, terrible right. catastrophe of a series of smaller catastrophes right. that led up to it yeah. um, in, the, in Jewish modernity. Yeah. Um, and so the kind of, you know, uh, kind of vanilla or absence of, of spiritual intensity in the Jewish experience, to some extent, I think the notion of the, the, the crisis of faith resulting okay. from the Holocaust was there. But a lot of it, I think, also just had to do with, like, Jews wanting to move to the suburbs and be good American bourgeois. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, 
the draining out of the synagogue experience of the kind of spiritual passion mm -hmm. that might have existed at an earlier time. Yeah. And so I think that that was part of that's part of the journey also. Um, it's just why another thing, you know, the kind of Hasidic spirituality, mm -hmm. more passionate singing and dancing and, and emotive mm -hmm. uh, uh, relational type of spirituality, that's also very popular in the, in the liberal Jewish world for people that right. have lost the traditional God. Right. Because it's, it's, it's passionate and you feel it. Sure. And it's experiential. Yeah, it's experiential. Yeah. Right. Okay. Wow. Now, in all of that, uh, if if you were if if you were in front of some beings from another planet who had nothing no knowledge whatsoever about Judaism and you were trying to just in you know a little bit of a two or three sentences say the relationship between Jews and God is there is there sure i think the classic classic way to phrase the jewish at least the traditional classical notion of Jewish relationship to God is, is one of covenant. Mm. Um, you know, the Torah, our, our, our sacred text, is about yeah. uh, this people making a, making a kind of a pact or covenant okay. with God and saying, um, Interesting. in order yeah. to experience the presence of God, a sense of holiness, a sense of the sacred, we undertake to act in a certain way wow. and to behave in a certain way. I never heard that before. It's, That's it's really a, interesting. You should go to rabbinical school. You hear the first day, basically. <laughs> uh, and so, um, so there's a, so I think that kind of notion of covenant and relationship, there's a rabbi named Rabbi Ira Stone in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. who I actually never heard him say this. I heard this paraphrased, but it's accredited to him where he said, um, whether or not there is a God is not the Jewish question. Mm -hmm. The Jewish question is, how do I live my life in relationship to what I hold to be sacred? Yeah, beautiful. Uh, and so that's that notion of covenant with the sacred and how does that affect, impact behavior, ranging sure. from ritual behavior to, uh, to um, behavior in the pursuit of social justice. And yeah, equity. moral behavior. Moral behavior, that's the word I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. It's early. Uh, and, and so the the essential Jewish relationship to God in this understanding, which we'd call traditionally say these are mitzvot, these are mm -hmm. the commandments that we're expected to fulfill yeah. because of our sense of covenant with God. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a kind of slightly more humanized way that I would understand uh, the, the matter, but still that's the basic premise, that's I wonderful. think, of the Jewish religion. Wow. Okay. Difficult question number two. Okay. Let's take it. <laughs> so uh, let's see. In the early 80s, I experienced my first funeral when my grandfather died. And I remember asking the rabbi, what is the Jewish understanding of the afterlife? And I'll tell you after I ask you that question what he said. So tell me if I'm right or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. It's not about being right or wrong. It's just very interesting what he said. But if I said it now, that would end the conversation. Okay. Yeah. So... I think to answer a question like this, and I'm asked this question on a somewhat regular basis, it's a topic that people are often sure, interested in Sure, of course. Yeah. Um, Judaism is not uh, kind of organized and doctrinal mm -hmm. the way that other, other religions are. Um, I trace that to the fact that Judaism has almost never had state authority, and so there's never been a, the ability to create a kind of a state church that had Huh. Uh, overarching authority over over the mass of believers, okay. such as there might be in Catholicism or 
rather more organized, uh, historically more organized religion. I see. Let's so as opposed to one overarching doctrine, uh, on this point, there's a variety of overlapping mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes uh, mutually exclusive, occasionally, uh, yeah. belief systems um, about the afterlife, ranging from those that were kind of uh, formalized and promulgated by rabbinic authority to those that existed as folk beliefs. Hmm. Um, or that emerged out of different schools uh, of Jewish practice or belief. So um, there are a variety of them. Uh, most traditional uh, religious uh, forms of, of Jewish practice do believe in some form of afterlife. Mm -hmm. um, they range from kind of your classical heaven, mm -hmm. uh, uh, kind of a wish fulfillment heaven, where you get everything that right. you, you always wanted. <laughs> um, no, there's no permanent hell. In okay. Judaism, yeah. you know, the worst that there is is a kind of sauna, basically, where you sweat <laughs> off, uh, you sweat off the bad deeds you didn't manage to atone for in life. But there's no sense of the permanent hell that you might right. find. Right, the in, imagery you know, the of the big fires. Yeah, well, there there is that in some oh. cases, but oh, you don't okay. stay there forever. Okay, like okay. you kind of work it out and you get you get beyond <laughs> it. So there there is kind of a heaven and hell. There are notions of bodily resurrection. In hmm. some classical forms of Judaism, like the bodies actually would rise out of the grave, which always strikes me as kind of like a night of the living dead. Right, right, right. After life, but uh, <laughs> they seem to be okay with it. Yeah. There, um, there's notions of reincarnation really? that exist. Yeah. In in certain forms of mystical Judaism. Okay. Um, in the ones that I find kind of most, uh, I don't know, charming, I guess, are the ones where like. Basically, in the afterlife, you'll get to do all the things you should be doing now as a Jew, but uninterrupted. Wow. So, like, you just get to study Torah all the time, yeah. for example. Like, it's the eternal yeshiva, yeshiva being the word for a traditional place of learning. Yeah. Um, and I, what I like about that one is, you know, so, so personally, me, I'm not a big afterlife guy. I'll just oh, say that okay. right, right away. Yeah. Um, Meaning that you feel like at the end of, at death, that's it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um, who knows? I could be surprised, you know? <laughs> I wouldn't mind being surprised, I sure. suppose. Like, I don't say this with, like, you know, right. that's great. You want to awesome. be right about this. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's more that I'm, I'm a very kind of scientifically minded person. I'm a, fairly, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a spiritual materialist, yeah. you know, in, in some sense. And so, sure. like, um, I don't... I can't take things on faith, and the things that I see about articulations of the afterlife strike me as they're expressions of faith. Mm. And and it's not that I say like there's no way that can be, but but uh, it's it's uh, it doesn't just give my my empirical mind doesn't embrace them with a huge sense of confidence okay. in their veracity necessarily. And so instead, I, I focus on the, that aspect of Judaism, which is really about right now. In this last afterlife belief that I mentioned, where like. Basically, in the afterlife, you get to study Torah and perform mm -hmm. the mitzvot without being interrupted. It means that the most valuable thing is the study of Torah and the mitzvot, which you mm -hmm. can do right now, right. and which have value right now in terms of the expansion of consciousness and mind sure. and experience, and in terms of behaving towards others and your world out right. of a deep sense of ethics and morality. Kind of yeah. a version of heaven on earth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If only, you know? I mean, yeah. have not, not heaven on earth in the sense that everything is made right but heaven on earth in the sense that anything that you would want to do in the beyond, you can do right now and yeah. should be doing right now. Yeah. And so I choose to emphasize that part of the tradition, regardless of what may or may not come next. Yeah. The only thing that I would add is that, you know, I guess I've just said it on television, but I, <laughs> I don't see it as my job to correct 
the beliefs of my congregants. Oh, sure. You know, so if somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I believe my mother or my father is now in this place, or I'm sick myself, and I understand that what I'm going to be doing next is passing from this body to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I don't really see it as my job to say, well, actually, You're wrong. let's read some Richard Dawkins <laughs> together, you know? Let, let's see what Christopher Hitchens has to say uh -huh. about this. Uh -huh. Like, I see that at that particular moment as um, this is what they're doing with their thoughts, their sure. feelings, their emotions. Um, and there's a value in telling that story. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't see it as my job in that sure. you know, position to, to yeah. offer any kind of correction, but rather to work with them where they are. Yeah. When and I could always be wrong. You know, I'm open to being wrong, but it's not, I don't spend my time thinking or worrying about it. Well, when you talked about the pastoral and the prophetic, mm -hmm. uh, this is another moment where you make a right. choice. This is a very pastoral moment. <laughs> You to know, be pastoral. When someone's exactly. dealing with, with death and dying, I don't really see the, it's not a prophetic moment in that right, sense. Right. It's a pastoral moment. Right. Yeah. So the answer that uh, the rabbi gave was, we don't know. Let's say we don't know. <laughs> and let's not worry too much about that. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's, since we don't know, let's focus our attention sure. um, on what we can be more certain is a good use of our time. Yeah. Okay, so I have one more difficult okay. question. Save the best for last. The best for last, maybe the most difficult. Yeah. And uh, I would love your thoughts on the whole Israel-Palestine situation. Mm -hmm. And both personally and as, you know, the representative of the JCA in a certain way, not that you represent everybody, mm -hmm. but... Mm -hmm. You, you won't get all of my thoughts on the whole situation. <laughs> There's just not time for that. I'm not even sure if I know what all, all of them sure, are. Sure, sure. Um, and I, I can't say that I'm speaking now for the JCA. Okay, like, sure. I, the That's... best I can do is I, I could give you some insight in terms of how this plays out in my role as a congregational rabbi, perhaps, yeah. but I can't claim That's to be speaking for the congregation. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, it's interesting to note that this is the most difficult question that, that you can ask me about. And it's yeah. true that it is. Um, there's something really intensely painful about, um, about this issue, about, about what uh, um, was meant to be uh, a great and normalizing and wonderful attainment and achievement for the Jewish people becoming, at this point, um, uh, an intensely painful sting upon the yeah. spirit and the conscience of the Jewish people. And so it's really uh, a challenging thing to carry and to talk about just as in one person, but especially also in Jewish community and also being Jewish in the wider world. These, these, these twin notions of like, this is supposed to be um, our, our proudest achievement. Yeah. And also this is, uh, in this day and age, also feels like our greatest shame. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Yeah. And we feel both emotions about it. Wow. Um, just recently, I heard somebody express, uh, trying to talk about what is Zionism. And one of the images that they, they use for Zionism, what it actually is and what it's turned out to be in the state of Israel, it's uh, somebody jumping out of a burning building and landing on somebody else's head uh, wow. was the image that was given. And, and there was something about that that really struck me yeah. um, as, as encapsulating the dilemma and the contradiction inherent in it. Um, I, I object mm. 
uh, strongly to uh, people in p contemporary political discourse that speak of Israel as, as uh, like a phenomenon of Western colonialism or the lapdog mm -hmm. of American empire or all these terminologies because um, they fail to take into account the reality of Jewish history and experience. Mm -hmm. uh, which, when you see what did the uh, state of Israel actually emerge out of, it was precisely some, somebody jumping out of a burning building yeah. or somebody sitting in the rubble of a, a building that had burned down and saying, where do I go next? Right. Uh, um, the, you know, and even before that, you know, even before the Holocaust, it was still the attempt to uh, um, create a sense of uh, community, solidarity, nation out of uh, people that had a right to claim these terms for themselves that were... Um, scattered and dispersed and in varying degrees in the European context and also in, 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 the, in the Muslim world uh, facing routine discrimination, mm -hmm. uh, routine oppression of a variety of types. And so to, to glibly state now it's just the manifestation of Western colonialism right. is an act of ignorance and right. to some extent an act of anti-Semitism. Hmm. Defining anti-Semitism in this case not as a kind of um, vulgar and virulent classical hatred of Jews, but as a failure to acknowledge the reality of Jewish experience and to write that out of one's historical discourse yeah. uh, is a form of discrimination and prejudice. Um, so on the one hand, I, um, I, I, I advocate and I use my discourse to try to articulate a sense of the validity and the reality of the Jewish experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and Israel as a manifestation of that mm -hmm. reality more so than I argue for the validity of the particular tactics of the present government right. of the state of Israel. Um, uh, and at the same time, I, I feel uh, very deeply the sting of the reality of the experience of the suffering of the Palestinian people. And uh, uh, a sense that um, it's hard to, to celebrate all the wonderful things about Israel and its meaning to the modern Jewish experience while being excruciatingly aware of the, uh, the suffering, disenfranchisement, discrimination um, that another people is undergoing, the people whose head we landed upon, yeah. uh, to use that particular right. image, are, are going through. And so the challenge is more I could say, there's a lot more I could say, but the yeah. challenge from a communal perspective is how to hold both pieces uh, for uh, a community mm -hmm. which has feelings about this and thoughts about this that are all over the place sure. and can't even always speak with each other about it. Yeah, within your own Within the own community because yeah. the issues are, are so painful um, and the combination of impulses that we have are, are so um, volatile yeah. and potentially divisive. And so what I try to do is, is create... Um, a kind of uh, a space for for a reasonable consensus of discourse, um, kind of shave off things on the ultra left and on the ultra mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. and say this is the type of conversation we can hold here in the synagogue. Mm -hmm. I don't seek to tell anybody else what kind of conversations they can have elsewhere, but in the synagogue where we try to balance both a sense of connection and appreciation for Israel, with a, a sense of awareness and concern for its flaws. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the type of conversation that I feel we can have, the, the varieties of conversation, the type of speakers that, that we have yeah. that are both celebratory and also uh, critical and aware. Yeah. I, I just did an interview with Paula Green, and she was uh, making reference to the combatants yes. for peace that came to the JCA. Mm -hmm. Was that a moment of sort of difficult 
It was, and Paula was very helpful in that. Mm -hmm. What was difficult about that was that uh, we chose to invite people to that that weren't necessarily members of our community. Mm -hmm. And that makes us very vulnerable. I see. Um, because we know as our own community what type of discourse uh, we can handle in that space and what kind of relationships we have. When we invite, right. when we open the doors and say, come to this event, yeah. we can get just anybody coming in. And you don't uh, know. And yeah. we don't know what they're going to say, how they're going to react, how they're going to, whether or not they're going to understand that this is our sanctuary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it might not be able, appropriate to get up and say Israel is an apartheid state, you know, this or that yeah. Uh, yeah. in our home. Yeah. Um, and they might not care because once again, they're not taking into account um, the realities of Jewish experience. Yeah. And so that makes us vulnerable. This particular event went very well, and Paula was a wonderful partner because she understood She's, the concerns. And yeah, she, that's uh, her skill set, She did too. her best to reassure me <laughs> and also to help me to create the space yeah. where, where real criticism and real words could be shared, but mm -hmm. it was understood this is, a, this is a place of Jewish refuge that you've entered into, and right. you have to take that into account as well. I, I'm thinking about a couple of things. I'm thinking about this image of jumping out of a burning building and falling on someone's head. And then what happens next? Mm -hmm. Do you, does, does the one who fell out, you know, get off and say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, thank you for softening my fall and I'm so sorry if I hurt you. Or... You know, like, what's the next thing? And the, the, the move, I also am thinking about this, uh, this sort of repetition of, of uh, trauma and abuse where people who have been oppressed or traumatized in some way then go ahead and do it to others mm -hmm. because they're not healed and, you know, I mean, there's so much written about that. It's a big topic. Uh, I don't think it's all so easy to map kind of individual psychology onto geopolitical okay. situations. Interesting. Uh, meaning that I don't think yeah. it's as simple a matter as, oh, Jews were persecuted, therefore they're persecuting. Because there's so many different layers of, uh, of like, um, what's been going on in that part of the world over the past right. you know, 60 to 70 years that have exacerbated the situation. And... Um, this is the question of our times, and it's not one that I'm overwhelmingly optimistic about. I hate to yeah. end on such a note, yeah. but, but how do you try to begin to untangle the situation uh, so that you reach a result that affords the best combination of security and justice yeah. for all the people that are involved? It's, uh, it's not easy. I don't think Jared Kushner can handle it. Yeah, uh, God. But... Um, uh, certainly not him, if nobody else has been able to. And I'm right. not overly optimistic at the moment, but I, I uh, continue to act out of a sense of hope, if not optimism. Yeah. As the saying goes. Wow. Well, that's very beautiful, actually. It's, I don't think I invented that particular <laughs> distinction, but it's one, that I found very, it's one that I found very useful in our times in a variety of ways. Sure. And hope also speaks about faith, mm -hmm. getting back to what do you well, think Well, hope is that? I'm going to act out of a certain wish to manifest a certain mm -hmm. sensibility into the world, whether or not I think it's going to have a long lifespan. Or not. Oh, okay. okay. I'm still going to, you know. Make that effort. Make it. that effort. Yeah. yeah. Wow. This has been really great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I'd also like to thank the interns behind the cameras and the staff here at Amherst Media. 
we're in a big push to build a new building and have a beautiful new space. So for all those who are watching, we, we all should be contributing to Amherst Media. Okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, when I was a little boy sitting on my mama's knee, she said, son, let me tell you about that bad staggerly. She said, son, he was a bad man, Lord, the baddest man I know. Well, he killed Billy Lyons with a blue steel, 44.